everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene. Brittany and I are so grateful that you are joining us and spending your time investing in um, yourself and moving forward in your profession. And we always want to hear back from you. So please, please, please don't hesitate to uh, leave us some comments or reach out to us on our Mighty Networks app. Today, we are going to be talking about um, getting our patients to yes. really helping our patients own their condition um, so that they will enroll in their health and what they need and what our recommendations are for them. And so I know we spend so much of our day communicating with patients toward the end goal of helping them move forward toward health. And so we want to talk about how do we get our patients to fully own and embrace their conditions and understand the, the treatment options that are available to them so that they can say yes to their health. Um, And there's so much that goes into the operatory. And though we won't be able to delve into every aspect of that today, we'd like to lay a good foundation for moving the needle forward and creating better enrollment for both the patient and the practice health. So Brittany, take us away with some of the basics of communication. All right. So some of the basics of communication. Communication has power, but like any powerful tool, it needs to be used effectively or it can actually cause us self-inflicted harm. And harnessing the power of communication is a fundamental leadership discipline. So it's a discipline. So it's, it's a learned skill. It's a honed skill. It's something that can be refined and constantly developed. And I think that it, it needs to be, you know, communication, like most other things in life is always evolving. It's constantly evolving. Uh, and it has a lot to do with how each of us grew up, our own experiences, our own biases, our own beliefs, you know, our own come froms. Uh, there's, there's a lot of aspects of communication that we need to consider if we want to do it effectively. And effective communication is, I think, one of the common, probably the most common thing that's found amongst the most successful people, no matter which um, aspect of business they're in or medicine, which industry they're in. I think effective communication just is maybe the most important tool to have in life to be to be effective and have yeah. good relationships with others. Yeah. And I want to say on that front that you know, not everybody is a natural born, super effective communicator. And so we're always talking about what our mindsets are on these things. I think it's important that we don't get locked in and think, well, I'm not really great at that. I'm kind of, I'm quiet. I'm more quiet or I'm more shy and it's just not my thing. I don't, I'm I'm not, I don't connect with people as well. I think that's more of a fixed mindset of thinking I I can't do this instead of thinking, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. And just like you're saying, I think it takes practice and you know, we practice hygiene and we're doing it over and over and over and we're learning and we're growing and we're stretching ourselves. I think we have to do this in the, in the umbrella of communication as well. And sometimes that's even just 
role-playing with our team and other hygienists and assistants and doctors and, and practicing until you really build that confidence and feel better about what you're doing and obviously being really intentional in how you're doing it. Yeah. And I have some um, personal insight that I can add on this topic. And I think that, you know, I've said before in some of our previous podcasts, like I am definitely, I don't consider myself to be a natural born good communicator. Like it's something that I've really had to work on, really had to practice and really had to hone and read books on and, you know, watch myself in the mirror or, you know, repeating certain things. Like I know that you've shared, you know, that you've done, um, you know, practicing your verbiage so that it's authentic and what you truly believe and based on your resounding why. Um, but I had an experience that I think will, you know, help people to understand really how much of a skill this is. Like, it's not just like a gift. It's not something that everyone's born with. And um, the more we think of this as something that can be developed and learned and practiced, the, the more open I think we are to doing this imperfectly and continuing to grow and get better. So um, I was homeschooled in middle school and high school, and that enabled me to graduate when I was 15 years old, right? So I was a very young graduate. Uh, my older sister and I enrolled in just community college. Uh, we had early admitted, right? So one of the first classes that we took as 15 and 16 year olds was uh, a speech class. And in the speech class, we had to give a presentation that used a demonstration. So it was a, dem a demonstrative presentation, like explaining how to do something from start to finish, giving instructions. And, uh, you know, the teacher, this is community college, it's very entry level, it's a prerequisite class. So it wasn't very, very, uh, like advanced. It was very basic. Um, but I, as a homeschooler, had never had the opportunity to give a presentation to a class or to public speak at all. So this was really my first public speaking uh, opportunity. And it was in front of you know college kids who were older than me and smarter than me and had more life experience. So it was already like a nerve wracking thing for me. Sure. Um, but so I did my presentation on uh, something art related. You know, I was taking art classes at the time and I was explaining how to create this really simple like piece of art. And all I remember is at the when I finished this, like, I think it was like a five minute presentation, the teacher immediately said, well, you're going to have to do that again. That was her immediate feedback to me. So I was immediately like shot down, totally humiliated, embarrassed. And I remember some of the things that I did in that experience were I spoke really, really quickly, which is how I tend to talk, you know, if I don't think about it actively, I, I spoke so quickly, I went through the instructions really quickly, I didn't, uh, I didn't really speak up, I didn't make eye contact, I didn't pause, I didn't ask questions, you know, it was a lot of things that we do when we're entry level speakers or when we're inexperienced speakers, you know, so I remember just being completely mortified. Like I went to my seat, just so like embarrassed that I actually left the class early. I left my things there. I left the class and I remember stepping out and being so upset. I like cried about it. I was so embarrassed and upset. My sister got my things and took them out of the class for me. Thank God. So I didn't have to go back. Right. So I had to give this presentation again again, I had to redo it. Okay. So imagine like, I am like <laughs> shaking, shaking in my boots, having to redo the same presentation. And I, I just had to go back and read some of our public speaking book and get tips from some of the other classmates who were actually really encouraging. They were all older, but they were like, Hey, you know, you did great. You didn't feel bad. You know, like we all have had this experience. You're just really new at this. And this is what I recommend. And this is what I did. And this is how I practiced for this. And so I took their advice and ended up, you know, I was given another opportunity to give the same speech and then I did fine and I got a passing grade. But that experience just goes to show you like 
I'm by no means a great or perfect speaker. Like I, I'm still developing, still learning, but I've come a long way since that point to where now you and I, Sharissa, have, you know, we're speaking in a podcast and we do some public speaking and educating. And I have developed so much as a speaker and I'm a lot more self-aware, but I think it's those pain points that sometimes enable us to become so much better at something or be willing to learn and grow and hone a skill. You know, that was one of the worst and most memorable experiences of my life. And I could have just let it like totally defeat me. Right. I could have just been like, I suck at this. I'm terrible. I'm not trying again, you know, and not stepped out ever again. And I was tempted to do that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that. But look at you now. Look at you. Yeah, look, <laughs> look at me now. Exactly. So I think it's important when we are, you know, we're having this conversation and, you know, the reality is we are talking all day long, pretty much right to our patients, to our team. So I think it's important to kind of think ahead to what are our end goals here? What are we really trying to address? What do we want to become in the communication realm? Um, you know, we're, we shouldn't really communicate something unless we know what we're trying to ac accomplish, because I think that comes across to patients and they're like, do you, what are you talking about? Um, we have to determine who matters in the conversation. And hopefully we're all gonna agree on that's the, the patient because that's all our big why. We're here to help our patients get healthy. So really communicating effectively with that patient so they can understand what's going on and make the best decisions for themselves is so important. Um, I think a really important thing to think is what do we need them to think, feel, know, or do in order to accomplish their goals? You know, that's something to think about you know, I think just always putting yourself in somebody else's shoes with the person that you're trying to communicate with is a big, important step. Um, and then what do they need to see us do here, hear us say or hear others say about this situation? Um, I just think there's a lot to think about it. Um, I, I want to make a really big point because we say a lot and verbal communication is a big part of how we're communicating. But we've got to realize that um, there's been a lot of research done on nonverbal communication. Um, the lot of, lot of studies, it's a very complex topic, but, and there's been a lot of varying results from all of this, but most experts agree that nonverbal com communication ranges between 70 to 93% of all communication. So what we're saying matters, but what we're doing physically matters even more. Um, and so we've got to really pay attention to how we're presenting ourselves as clinicians, but at the same time, how the patient is presenting themselves. It's kind of like this two-sided coin. And there's a lot to think about here. And I just want to share, I have been lately, I've been very intentional um, with how I'm presenting myself. You know, I'm making sure, you know, I'm sitting straight, I'm, you know, maintaining that eye contact. And it's almost a little distracting as I'm, as I'm talking to the patient, because I'm I'm like really thinking about, okay, how, how am I being perceived right now? What energy am I putting off? What are, you know, am I coming across confidently? And my hope is that as I do this more and more, then it'll become something I don't even have to think about. It'll just happen. Right. And I think this is kind of similar to verbiage, like how um, if it's practiced, you don't have to be focusing really on what you're saying because you've said it before and it's familiar. You know, if you've practiced the stance, your straight back and your eye contact um, and you're facing the person, you know, on the same level, you know, knee to knee, eye to eye kind of thing. Um, I think it does become more automatic and it, and it takes up less of our brain power to do it because it's something that's practiced. Right. So this is like 
one of the most important important parts of communicating effectively is active listening. So instead of you know preparing to retort or respond to what someone is saying, instead actually hearing what they're saying and then pausing and formulating an answer is a lot more you know effective. And the more that we have practiced what our what our standardized answers will be, and of course it's not going to be the same for every patient, but there will be similar answers for similar problems. The less we have to sit there thinking about what our answer is going to be, because we already know and we can truly well, well we know to some extent, right? And then we can truly listen to them and use what we've already practiced to answer effectively, you right. know, and respond to what they're really saying instead of just kind of sort of listening, trying to figure out what we're going to say and how we're going to potentially troubleshoot this or answer hard questions or solve hard problems. Right. And I, it gets hard, right? I mean, when we have that shrinking hour and we know we've in our head, we've got to do this, 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 and the patient's late and our next one's early. And like all this is kind of, you know, in the background of our heads, sometimes it gets really hard to just stop and listen and really listen. But that's where we really connect with one another is when we're really giving each other that respect to listen and hear each other out. Because if you can really hear where someone's coming from, that's when you can turn around and meet the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. Without taking it personally, I think, yeah. because when we're the dangerous thing about, you know, and I say dangerous kind of like, I mean it, but not, it's dangerous to us. If we are in an emotional state of um, I'm taking this personally, what this person is saying, and I'm taking on their feelings and their perspective Um even if it's not the way that I view the situation, but we don't have to do that. We can listen effectively and non-judgmentally and um, with detachment to be able to actually solve the person's problem without taking their you know, pushback when we deliver sensitive information as something that's personal. You know, Instead, we can, we can come from, I sincerely wanna help you solve this problem. You know, I will do whatever's in my power. I will get answers from others if I don't have the answer and we can work together to do this instead of like taking it as a personal affront when someone doesn't immediately accept the information that they're, that right. they're being given to, you know? So I think one of the most important things that we as clinicians need to do is come across very confidently. Um, Our patients are coming to us for our expertise, for our advice, for our treatment, for our care of them. And they clearly are coming to us because they don't know all of the things we know. They didn't go to school. They didn't learn all these things. So they're coming to us for our professionalism and our confidence in what we can provide them. And I feel like there's no better way to communicate that than eye contact and, and really looking directly at the patient. Um, it, you know, it brings that connection. And, and it also, honestly, if we're not looking right at the patient, then we can't really read their facial cues as to, you know, what, what they're feeling about what we're saying. So I think that's really important. Um, facial expressions are a big deal. So, you know, if you notice that your patients are, are kind of squinting, that can indicate that they're confused. Maybe they're really trying to understand. They're kind of in deep thought over it. You know, if their eyes are wide and they're, they're looking, you know, they got that eye contact with you, that shows that they're interested in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. If you've got somebody who's got kind of the furrowed brows and, you know, that can mean they're irritated, they're concerned. And obviously we know somebody's kind of rolling their eyes around and, you know, looking off to the side, you know, that they may not be trusting what you're saying. Um, they may be a little frustrated. Um, obviously people that are smiling are, are pretty happy that, you know, they've got a good connection with you. They've got some joy going, but it's really important to read and kind of see where that patient's at throughout the appointment and not just skip over it, not just think, oh gosh, they're frustrated. That's when you want to check in with them and say, hey, you know, tell me how you're feeling about this. What are your thoughts on this? What questions do you have right now? So much of communication for me 
with the patient is really reading where they're at. And, and catering to that. I mean, I tell my patients all the time, I work for you. I'm here for you. We're going to do this your way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to give you my, my professional advice and guidance. You get to make the choices because it's your mouth. So I think, you know, learning to read them so that you can really connect with them is really, really important. Um, if you notice that your patient's kind of looking away during the conversation or avoiding eye contact, that can either mean that they're disinterested or it could just mean that they're shy or, or kind of fearful about the situation. I find that if people are looking at other things, like if they're just watching other people or if they're looking at their watch or looking their, at their phone, that feels more like a disinterest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you've got somebody who's looking more like kind of down or you know just kind of staring at objects, a lot of times that is anxiety and fear. And that's again, when you can check in and say, hey, tell me how you're feeling about this. What can I do different to make you comfortable? Yeah, I think, I think that all these are really important social cues and good things to be aware of. And also, I think it's important on the same note not to infer what the patient is thinking. And it is important, like you're saying, to ask and clarify because a person might be, you know, looking away from you or whatever, and they may just be distracted or they may have right. ADHD or they may right. you know, have uh, autism or be on the spectrum. Right. Or so, you know what I mean? So it may be something else. Uh, they may have questions or it may just be like their demeanor. And that's a part of like getting to know our patients. But I think that the question asking and clarification points that you're saying and the open-ended questions are the most important part of moving forward in any of those scenarios. Right. I ask a lot during my appointment, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Everything good? Mm-hmm. How you feeling? Do you need anything? Um, because you're right. And it's especially hard with our new patients because we don't know them at all. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we don't know if they have certain habits or, you know, what their, their normal cues are. So it is, you know, and they don't know ours either. So it's kind of figuring each other out at the beginning and just leaving a lot of space and a lot of grace for that. I feel like, right. Um, I feel like body language is just so huge. Um, and I think especially with, you know, in dentistry, so many of our patients come in and they are nervous. They are fearful. They have phobia. And so I think physically being at the same level, is really, really important because obviously if you're standing over someone, you know, that, that almost shows that you're kind of dominating over them. And if you're standing over them and they're already fearful about being there and talking to them about, you know, treatments or things that they're going to have happen to them that aren't, aren't the best of news that can be really intimidating and almost increase that level of anxiety. So when I bring my new patients in, um, we always go through their medical history and I purposely sit knee to knee, eye to eye, right there at their level. I make sure I'm not sitting above them at all. Sometimes I'll even put them a little bit above me because I want them to know like, hey, you're in control. Mm-hmm. But but really good conversation. You know, I purposely make sure I've got my legs crossed toward them. I don't have you know my arms crossed. I'm, I'm open to what they're saying and I'm trying to create that connection. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I think so too. And like, I have, you know, one of the things that I think you and I really value is like what you just described that like physical state of being on an equal playing field, you know? So at at my practice, one of the things that I love that um, was really important to Dr. Craig and our leadership team was the preclinical interview for new patients. So the preclinical interview happens um, when at the beginning of a new patient appointment. So an admin team member actually takes our patient back, takes the pano, and that's to establish rapport with an admin team member so that on the way out, if treatment is necessary, they've already built a relationship and rapport and established kind of familiarity with this person. So they're gonna see a familiar face on the way out. So that's strategic as well, right? 
And it's all the little things regarding communication. So that's number one. But number two is after that, that initial hello and greeting and welcome to the practice and the panoramic, uh, the, the patient's taken straight into a consult room where I then, the, the hygienist then re reviews the medical history on an eye-to-eye, -eye, you know, face-to-face -face level in a private room with closed doors, you know, so, so that we can talk about sensitive information. And I can relate to them, like, how important this information is, how it affects our overall trust, what we're going to do today. Uh, we review, you know, the, the time expectations, like, hey, do you have any time frame limitations today so I can respect your time? But then also, I think one of the most important parts of this is then the doctor meets them in that position as well. The doctor comes in after I reviewed medical history, I repeat and relay all the information that the patient's already expressed to me. So the doctor doesn't have to go in and ask the same questions, but also then the doctor greets the patient on that even playing field as well. So their first interaction with me and the doctor is not them laid back in a chair, me expressing to them like, hey, open your mouth, be in this really vulnerable position. Then I'm going to give you really vulnerable information about your health and hope that you're okay with it. You know, right. So that, that physical stature, I think is really important in the patient just feeling safe and feeling like they are in control and earning their trust early on in the appointment. So I love that you guys implement that. And it's such a big part of what you do as well. Right. And, and what you're saying, I agree with, and I think is very important that we, even if it's not a new patient and we're not, you know, going through the whole med medical history, you know, big, big review. Um, even just when I bring my patient into the operatory, I think being physically present right in front of them it shows that you're interested in them. It gives them, it's respectful yeah. and it shows that you care. And I say that because I know, I know because I do this daily with all the rest of you that there's so much happening in hygiene. We got to get that note entered. And I, you know, I dropped that template so I can start putting all the things in and I'm trying to put in what they're telling me as we're going. And it's easy to like do it all from behind them, right? It's easier, you know, it's easy to be back at your computer saying, Hey, have you had any medical changes? Hey, let's go, you know, right. but I think that loses a lot of that establishing trust and communication. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is, uh, you know, when I, when I first meet my patient, I'm standing in front of them and I'm saying, Hey, how are you? What's been going on? Tell me about life. You know? And as they tell me that I'll say, tell me, you know, I mean, it's been six months since you were here. Have you had any medical changes, new medications, allergies, doctor's findings, what's going on on that front, anything dentally that you've been concerned about, anything sensitive, anything you've noticed. Um, and then we always take blood pressure and for blood pressure, I, I need them to be quiet for a minute. So that's the perfect time to, you know, get the blood pressure going and then step behind them and kind of drop in what drop in whatever they just told me to the notes. Mm -hmm. um, and I even clarify my patients because, you know, obviously the x-rays are kind of behind them at first too. So I'll say to my patient, because I don't want them to just think I'm back there not really listening to them. I'll say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to just take a minute and look at your x-rays. And I'm very intentional with my timing. I'm trying then to actually just kind of talk about life things at that point. Yeah. I don't want to talk about clinical things while I'm behind their back and they can't see me. Because I've had this happen where, you know, if, if, if you're in a rush and you're back there and you're trying to put things in, and you're trying to ask them questions and you say, have you had any dental changes? And they're like, yeah, I've had some sensitivity and they're pointing and you can't even see. Right. So I think just being physically present is really, really important and it establishes you care. You are interested. I, I'm here for you. Right. I think that's important. Those are great uh, tips as well for um, managing your time while remaining present with the patient mm -hmm. and communicating that you actually care. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think that we get, we, we develop these strategies to effectively manage our time and stay on time and honor everyone's time, right? Because we have this shrinking hour or even less 
than an hour in a lot of instances, right? To do a lot of things. Um, but I think that it's important sometimes to step back and look and use our emotional intelligence to realize sometimes when we're, it's just not, it probably the tasks are less important than the communication in this particular instance. Like it definitely involves experience and just kind of like awareness of what's going on in the appointment. Because sometimes, you know, even if it's not a new patient, like you're talking about, it could be a patient of record who's returning for their 20th time and you're there in a recare appointment. Sometimes we don't get done what we expect to get done. And a lot of that is based on effective communication, like listening for what's most important to the patient that day, right? right? So if they have a time restraint, for instance, like, okay, we, we may not be able to accomplish everything that I want to accomplish in this appointment. I'm going to honor your time and my time as much as possible to make that happen. But also there are like emotional scenarios, I feel like where the patient isn't ready to, to have like a hygiene procedure. Like maybe they, they just need to talk about something regarding their health. Maybe they are not in a good emotional state to start uh, scaling therapy or whatever, you know, and just asking quality questions will help them to prepare and feel comfortable for when they return and have that done. And sometimes the communication aspect of that takes up a lot of the appointment, but it's what's the most important in establishing that we really care, that we're really listening, that we're really going to tailor this appointment to keep the patient as comfortable as possible, really give them the best treatment and the best value. You know, sometimes it's not about getting all the things done in that hour. Sometimes it's communicating effectively, really proactively and effectively listening to that person. And then either, you know, finishing the hygiene if we can, and if we have time, but sometimes rescheduling them for when they feel more comfortable or in an emotional state or a physical state where they're ready to have whatever treatment, especially after communicating sensitive information. I feel like sometimes people need to go home and process that. And we can't say, we, we can't stay so task oriented and time oriented that we forget about the, the human in our chair. Correct. So as much as as much as it's important that we do stay on time to respect everyone's time, I think it's there are extenuating circumstances that sometimes don't allow us to get all the tasks done, and that's okay. And we can accept that. And a lot of times, you know, those are the appointments like you and I have talked about before where, you know, we'll, we'll sit the patient up and say, hey, this is a really important procedure. I need more time with you to, to complete this. And I want to spend that time with you. Just communicating that you know, allows them to know that you really care and you really want to do a good job. And also that you, you respect their time. You want to honor their time. And also we'll do this for you on a different day when, when we have that time to, to give you, you know, right. I think there are a lot of circumstances when communication is the most important, important part of the appointment. And then the rest kind of happens later. Yeah. Yeah. And that builds trust for the yeah. future because the patient knows, Hey, you're going to really take care of me. Um, I want to talk about a couple of um, body language signs that should kind of tip us off that maybe we need to change our approach. And what's interesting is these can either be happening on our part or the patient's part. So crossed arms, when we have our arms crossed, that can demonstrate a couple of things that can either mean we're closed off or we're kind of defensive. So I, and I've seen this happen, you know, since I've been very mindful of this, I see patients when we start to talk about thing, you know, treatment that they need, or we, we're looking at photos together. I've seen patients kind of lean back and, you know, and it's, it, I, I recognize it. I'm like, okay, they're feeling uncomfortable. They're feeling a little defensive. I'm sharing some hard information. And that doesn't mean you don't share that and, and, and really communicate, but it's, it's just important to kind of, kind of pay attention to that. I think it's also important though for us, because if we have our arms crossed, we almost seem like we're on guard or we're, we're you know, kind of closed off. So just being mindful of what we're doing with our bodies. Um, if we see our patients kind of touching or rubbing their neck, 
Um, you see a lot, I see a lot of men do this. Like when we start again, start talking about the needs um, that a lot of times can ind indicate, you know, stress, discomfort. Um, they say that when we kind of rub our neck like that, you'll see women kind of doing this, that it's kind of that subconscious, like soothing yourself. So a lot of times that can, you know, if you see your patients doing that, that's kind of check in and say, how are you feeling about this? You know, what is there, do you have any questions? Um, posture obviously can signify confidence. So, you know, I am trying, you know, to make sure that I'm, you know, my shoulders are upright, my head is up. I'm really looking at them. I'm really paying attention because, you know, if I'm sitting kind of slouched forward and I've got my head down, I don't seem very confident in what I'm communicating to the patient. Mm -hmm. And it, again, it's so important that you, the patients know, you know what you're talking about and that they can trust you. Um, and then you said this earlier, and I know we both feel this way. Please do not ever have a conversation with a patient about what, what your findings are and what your need, what their needs are while they're laying back in the chair. Mm -hmm. You always want to be sitting them up, ideally looking at a screen with you of the things that you're talking about and that you're seeing. Um, because that again, takes you back to that mutual level of that relationship. I'm not, you know, I'm not over you telling you all these horrible things that I'm seeing and what we need to do about it. We're sitting up and we're just having a conversation. Um, I know Brittany and I've talked about this before, but I think it's so huge to involve the patient in all of the experiences. You know, you want to make sure that they are having as much sensation throughout the appointment. You know, they're seeing the x-rays, they're touching the iTero scanner, moving that around. Yeah. Um, they're holding the mirror, watching as you're probing, they're seeing the bleeding. Even when patients kind of feel that discomfort yeah. as you're perio charting, if you know, they've got some areas. You know, of course you have those patients that say, well, of course it's bleeding, you're stabbing me or it's hurting because you're stabbing me. And I explained to them, but do you see when I go right here and it doesn't hurt at all? That's because this area is healthy. Mm -hmm. So it's actually educating that patient, helping them understand why what they're feeling is problematic because it, it could be sensitivity where there's an area of decay, really helping them kind of put all that together, I think is important. Right. And explaining, I think that's a great indicator too. Like when the patient has physical sensitivity, of course, that's not our goal. That's not why we're probing, right? It just happens when there's infection. So I, you know, the people are like, well, yeah, you just poked my gums. You know, I like to say, um, yeah, you know, I'm actually taking this little measuring tool. And when gums are healthy, when I'm taking these measurements, it should feel like I'm touching your gums, but it shouldn't be uncomfortable or painful. I, and I, and I liken it to when you wash your hands and the skin is healthy on your hands, washing your hands doesn't hurt. But when you wash your hands and there's a cut there, it's comfortable. So there, so I'm basically, I'm measuring into a wound right now in the future. I won't be measuring into a wound. I'll be measuring into healthy gums once we solve this problem and it'll be a lot more comfortable yes. and at a future. And then at a future appointment, I just recently had a patient do this where, um, she was pregnant, had her baby, you know, she had a history of periodontitis and treatment of active disease. And then I educated her throughout pregnancy. Um, she also had an extensive treatment plan to be completed. Um, so after pregnancy, uh, she had her baby took new x-rays, did a new comp perio chart, educated her. She needed to be scaled again. So we did scaling. And then um, she began using perio protect. And after a few months of doing that, you know, we kept reevaluating, kept reevaluating. And she was like, I can't, she's like, are you just being really gentle today? And I'm like, no, I'm doing the exact same thing as we did at prior point. You know, it's just, your gums are so happy today and healthy that it just, this is what it feels like. I'm just touching your gums with this measuring tool. And there was just infection present before. So it was uncomfortable for you. And she was like amazed. She was like, I can't believe this. It's incredible. I can 
like feel the difference in my gums. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so happy. Like, so it's really cool when you take the time to explain that part, especially, and then patients get to see it on the back end. It's just an awesome thing. Total win, total win. Thanks for investing your time and energy into listening to Bulletproof Hygiene. Remember to click subscribe to join our community of dental professionals that embrace growth and collaboration to better yourself, your patients, and our profession. For more information on our 2021 Live Summit, Bulletproof Hygiene Book, and training opportunities, download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene. we just talked a lot about nonverbal communication. So I want to switch over and talk about verbal communication. Um, and in all honesty, if we're going to move people, we've got to meet them where they are. Um, the bigger the gulf between us and them, the less likely it is that it's effective communication. So I want to start with talking about the tone that we use, because I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, we want to be sure that we're coming across as informative and educational and professional, but at the same time, compassionate and empathetic and understanding. And, and like I said earlier, as a guide to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know you and I both really believe in trying to mirror and match where that patient is at. You know, it, it's what I just said. It's, it's kind of shrinking that gulf between that us and them and, and coming together. And I think mirroring and matching our patients is the way to do that. And, you know, the tone that you use, the vibe, um, I, I try to match that up with the patient. If I've got a patient that, you know, seems to be a little quieter, you know, a little more meek and, and not, you know, real boisterous, then I will lower my tone to kind of match that. If I've got somebody who, you know, is real gregarious and fun and loud, I'm going to match that because that's, that's going to kind of bring us together and take us on, onto the same level. Yeah. And what's, what's really cool about mirroring and matching and tone of voice and likening our stance and our, um, the way that we're sitting and the, the way that we're talking and the speed at which we're talking to the way that the patient talks and the way the patient is sitting is that people tend to like people who are like them, right? right? So it's a way to build rapport subconsciously even when this is like the first impression that the patient is getting or, the, or one of the first interactions that you're ever having with them. Right. So this is like a really almost surefire way to build rapport and connection and have the patient think, huh, I like her. And I'm not really sure why, you know, before they even really know you and before you even really know them. So this is one of the things that I'm so thankful to have learned and have had some training on at Spodak. We used to have like this culture immersion training. Um, and it was about mirroring and matching and how to um, listen more effectively and how to build rapport with patients effectively. And this is one of the things that I feel, um, kind of sets providers apart from one another. Like, can we do this effectively? And I can actually see a, a lot more readily now, and I'm sure that you can too, when this is going well and when it's not going so well from the outside looking in, like when you watch another provider doing this effectively, it's like, oh my God, it's like a symphony. It's a beautiful yes. thing to watch. You can see the connection happening. You can see the patient kind of leaning in and feeling more comfortable and kind of trusting this person, you know, and, and, you know, uh, conversely when it's not happening effectively, or when there is a patient who's super gregarious and this, and a provider comes in and is like, hello, how are you speaking in a completely like low voice and right. slow tone and like slow pace. And the patient's just like not connecting with that. Like, what, what is this? This is not familiar to me. Like, are, are, I don't know, they just see right. them as different and not relatable kind of, you know? Okay. So it's really interesting to see how our relationships can develop just based on 
our physical stance and the tone that we use with the patient. So we want to mirror and match the, the kind of words that they're saying, how quickly they're talking, um, how, uh, how they're sitting, if their arms are crossed, if they're sitting straight up, if they're, if they're kind of lower in the chair, I actually will lower myself in the chair. And then there's a way to, as we become more skillful at this, to kind of influence the patient to kind of feel a certain way, you know, when we're interacting with them like this, like if a person comes in and is super, super aggressive or angry, or just expressing a lot of um, emotions, like uh, high intensity emotions, for instance, I can come in and meet them with that. Like I will speak loudly and I will speak more quickly. And then I will slowly change yes. my tone so that they start matching me. And usually yes. that happens because when I go in, when you go in and you build rapport with them initially by matching them, they're like, okay, this person understands we're on the same page here. Right. And then, so that forms some, like some small bond subconsciously, like, okay, this person gets it. You know, this person gets me. Then I start bringing my tone of voice down and having reasonable, you know, using different speech and a uh, slower tone. And then they usually start bringing theirs down to match mine because now I'm a relatable person that they kind of like for some reason. They're not sure why, right? You know, it's interesting how you can do that. And of course, all of us have the choice as to whether or not we want to be influenced by someone else. So there are instances when someone absolutely is just in their emotional state, they don't right. want to get out of it, you know, they won't be influenced and that's okay. That's, we all have that right as humans, you know? Um, but I think it's a really important skill to have and it makes us either effective or ineffective communicators in a big way. Yeah. One thing you said earlier in your story, when you were in speech class that I also think is easy for us to do in our, in our crunched up hygiene time is to speak really quickly because we've got a lot to say and we're trying to get it all done. Um, but again, if we're speaking too quickly, then a lot of times patients aren't getting it. You know, they're missing what they're saying. It's, it's not resonating with them. It's feeling rushed to them. So I think just kind of paying attention to the speed that you're going at, um, you know, if you have a patient that is speaking more quickly, then I think you're safe there. But I, um, and a lot of times I will say, I find that patients speak very quickly if they're anxious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that's one of the cues too, if you pick up on like, mm -hmm, maybe, and, and just like you said, you kind of lead them into a different level of by speaking a little slower, then they can kind of take some breaths and, and calm down a little bit too. Um, and I just think matching their dental IQ is really important and their level of interest, because obviously if I have a patient, so it's funny, I do have a patient that I've taken care of for years, um, an older patient, he's an attorney. He's, I love him. Um, he does not want to know any clinical details. It freaks him out. He trusts us. He says, just don't, don't even tell me what's going on. Just do what I need done. I'm good with it. I trust you guys. You know what you're doing. And then I have patients who, I, I just saw a new patient actually yesterday who um, I was educating him on his conditions. And he said, I love this. I'm, I'm like one of those guys, like I actually majored in, in uh, philosophy. So I love really understanding and, you know, asking a lot of questions. And so, you know, we talked for a long time about what was going on. So I think it's figuring out where that patient is on the, the dental IQ spectrum and, and meeting that need. You know, you don't wanna go overboard and just keep talking about something. When a patient gets it, when a patient asks you, what do we need to do about this? You don't have to keep talking about the problem. Right, and sometimes I think that we, we miss that. 
we yes. did, don't really listen and we miss the fact that the patient has already received and understood yes. the information and we keep explaining. Yes. Sometimes we explain the patient out of the treatment. Yes. Like they're like, you unsell the treatment that they already accepted because we just keep talking, you know, we just keep we're like, yeah, 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 I, I get it. All right. I'm, I'm good. I'm done. You know? Yeah. Um, and, it, and what a gift is it? Like, I think sometimes we really undervalue or completely miss the gift that people give to us when they tell us what they want and how they want to be communicated with. Like the example of your attorney patient who said, I want no details. Like, just give me the big picture. Like, just do what you got to do. Like, yep. fine. He just communicated with you. And I think our tendency as providers is we want to give the information. We want to educate, but the patient just said, I trust you. You, you know, more than me in this instance, do what you got to do. I'm okay with it. So don't take the time in that instance to educate and fill him out on the small details because he's just, it's just going to lead to frustration. He's right. told you how he wants to be communicated right. with. And I think this is a good time for us to kind of touch on when a person comes with a translator or when a person comes with a power of attorney or when a, or when a child comes in with an adult, it's really, really important in its make or break rapport time. I think when it comes to addressing the patient and not the translator, addressing right. the person and not the power of attorney right. who's with them or the, the guardian or, you know, the parental right. guardian. So it's, it's a learned skill and a practice skill to be able to ask the patient questions while interacting with the translator or interacting with the guardian, but still making the patient the hero while we, while we remain the guide, right? So an example of this is I had a patient who came in, she was a new patient. She came with her husband. Her husband was um, uh, born in the, in the United States. His first language was English. She was born in Thailand and her first language was Thai, right? So, um, she uh, spoke kind of broken English, pretty, pretty good English. Like I understood exactly what she was saying. Just, she was a little bit slow. It took her a little bit of extra time to kind of understand what we were saying. She requested that her husband be in the room. Anytime I was explaining treatment indications or reviewing clinical findings, she, she was like, I just want to make sure that I understand. So I want you to call him in whenever we're ready to discuss this information. So the, this patient, you know, had periodontal disease, hadn't been to a dentist in about 10 years. So I, you know, needed to explain a lot of clinical findings with her and review the x-rays and review the period chart and the photographs. So I asked her husband to come in, but the entire time that her husband was there, you know, I was presenting both of them with the information, but I was sitting on her level, talking to her, letting him listen. And then I asked her if she had any questions, right? So she remained the, the center of attention and the center of the treatment. And the husband was just there as a supporting role. Um, and I think that that's really important because that empowers the patient and makes them feel like, okay, even though um, this might not be your first language, like you are the center of my attention, I'm going to treat you with complete equality. You're an educated person. Like you can make this, you're empowered to make this decision for yourself using whatever support you want to use. I'm not going to assume then that I'm just talking to her husband and he's going to make the decision. She didn't say that. She said she wanted him there for support. Right. So I'm giving her the information when she wants to ask him a question, she can ask. And, right. and after, you know, I'd answered all her questions. Um, I did ask the husband, like, is there anything that you need clarification on? It seems like this patient, you know, she seems very comfortable with it. Do you need to know anything else? He said, no, you know, but, but one thing that that patient did for me too, was she asked me to speak more slowly. She said, can you, can you slow down? She's like, I think I understand what you're saying, but can you just slow down? That would help me a lot. And so that gave me an opportunity to slow down so that I could have a more direct conversation. Right. So I think we need to listen for those cues yes. and, sometimes, and not skip when the patient is telling you what they need or what they want. You know, don't ignore that just because we think something should be done a certain way. Right. 
Right, for sure. And I think it gets very easy for us to speak in our own dental jargon, um, just because that's kind of how our immediate go-to in our brains. And I think, you know, a good idea as a team, I know we've, I've, I know we've had some listeners reach out to, to me and say, hey, I'm really, you know, we're digging the podcast, we're loving what we're hearing, we're actually listening, it to, listening together as a team. So if, if, if I'm talking to those of you that are doing that, it might be a really good idea one day to sit around and come up with some kind of uh, analogies that you guys can all use together for dental issues. Um, because it's really important that we make the patient's condition relatable and understandable to them. Um, uh, just a simple example that I use, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of patients with a lot of recession and abfraction and occlusal wear. And, you know, trying to explain occlusal trauma to a patient is really difficult. They, they can't put the two and two together of how the teeth meeting together is contributing to the, the gums dropping at you know, at the gum line and that those areas ditching out, it just doesn't always make sense. So one of the things we talk about is we say, you know, it's kind of like when you put a fence post in the ground and you've got it planted really, really solidly there. And then you come up to the top of that fence post and you really put a lot of pressure straight down and just gently kind of move that around. What happens to the ground around that fence post? It dissipates. It starts to dissolve away and disappear. It's the same thing that's happening in your mouth. Your teeth are rooted strongly in the bone. And if we're putting these excess forces and moving that around at the same time, it starts to cause that bone to dissipate and disappear. The gum lays on top of the bone. So where the bone goes, the gum follows. So it's one of those, a lot of times it's like that aha moment of, oh my gosh, that makes sense to me. Right. But it's communicating all of these, you know, crazy things that we have to talk about all day between perio and decay and, you know, why an onlay is, is a good restoration and, you know, why we use crowns and all that to really explain to patients so that they can relate and understand and, and are able to really get it so they can make the best decisions. Right. I love, I love the, uh, that you use this for anyone watching on YouTube, <laughs> Teresa, physically, uh, without physically. <laughs> Showing what she does because Teresa, this is what I do. I show patients, this is what your teeth do when you clench and grind and you're asleep, you know, like, and I, I use both of my hands and I say it flexes at the neck of the tooth. Right. Yep. I'm a, it's, it's important that we listen for what patients want in regards to this too, because I think that, so I'm in, I think the way that I learn and hear things and want to receive information is probably uncommon, not in a good or bad way, just uncommon. Like I want to receive what, tell me like what is happening with the gum and the bone, because there's a lot of patients who... Uh, there's one doctor who comes in and explains, um, you know, having no attached gingiva or no keratinized gingiva around a tooth as, um, you know, the sleeve, the sleeve around my arm and around my hand. And, you know, this is the loose cuff and it should be tight like this. And she just explains using the sleeve of her jacket, you know, and it's very effective for some listeners. And to me, I'm like, why did we just take the long way around? Like, just tell me what's happening in the gum and the bone. Like, why are we using parables? To... But so many people understand right. that more. So again, it's just listening for what the patient wants and needs, you know, and a lot of times using what you just did, what I love that you just did is you used something verbal. You were, you were explaining the, um, the fence post thing. And then you showed them with your, with your hand, you know, you showed them as well. So they could, they were hearing what you were saying and they were seeing like a physical example of like what you meant by that. And that goes back to engaging more of the patient's senses. So the right. more the patient's senses are engaged in the more ways that we get them to interact or experience what we're telling them or what, what we're educating them about or the, or the solution that we're recommending, the more likely they are to understand and accept 
the, the problem and the possible solutions and to actually say yes to and choose something. So in regards to perio disease, you know, showing them their x-ray, their perio chart, the tooth in their mouth, a photograph of gum recession, um, having them listen to you, educate them about periodontal disease, and then having them touch a perioprotect model or touch a physical model of a tooth or something, you know, the more they can put together all the pieces of the puzzle, the more likely they are to move forward and accept their, their, their problem and the solution. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, you said this earlier and I absolutely agree with you, of course, is listening is, is the biggest key, I think, to uh, communication. So I think it's really important that our goal is that we listen more than we speak. And, you know, a lot of times our patients don't even know what to ask or what to say. So I think, you know, asking those open-ended questions and inviting questions frequently is really important because you've got to give that patient the space to, to have those questions and to, you know, think it through. Um, we want to be talking more about their conditions than either your or their personal life. Cause I think, you know, a lot of times we'll fall into that trap of obviously we want to connect with the patient. You know, that's the fun part of having all the, you know, like what's happening in life and you know, let's celebrate that. And let's talk about that. But if that's taking precedent over really talking about what's happening in their mouths, then we need to back off of that. And it right. needs to be more about what's happening clinically. Mm -hmm. um, I know you and I both are big, big fans of the pause. You know, sharing the information, showing them what's going on, educating them, and then pausing to let them kind of take it all in and think it through and then ask questions. And that, that's really hard for us as providers because a lot of times that quiet space feels really uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? Because I think we get... We get a little overwhelmed because we know that what we're sharing is may not be the best news for them and we feel uncomfortable about that and so we talk 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 our way about what's happening and then if it gets quiet we feel really uncomfortable because we think we you know we start like running it through the me filter of oh my gosh are they angry do they not like this what's happening i don't i don't know how to feel about this and so we immediately start talking again Right. But that pause is so important for them to really take the time to absorb everything you've just said. Yeah. And I think, I think having no expectations for the pause too, because I can go any way, shape or form, you know, if you pause and they don't immediately fill in the pause with a question or with saying something or doing something like they, the, the next thing, you know, five seconds later, which may feel like an eternity might be like, okay, well, let's do it. Or it may be, I don't understand this. Can you explain this differently? Or it may be, you know, they're upset about something or they're unsure, but at least gives the opportunity for them to finish whatever they're trying to process at that moment as you're giving them so much information and then giving them space to really experience whatever they have to experience. You know, even if it's a negative emotion or a challenging emotion, like really just give them space to own whatever that is. And then maybe if, if, they're, if they're not breaking the silence or the pause, then maybe say, what questions do you have? How are you feeling right now? What are your thoughts on this? Like, then go, you know, but I think the pause is important. And the pause is especially important after we've educated someone to yes. And I think that the pause after a yes, yes to treatment, yes to understanding the problem um, gives us an opportunity to reflect and say, okay, do I need to continue educating at this point? Or is this a, a just get going? Right. You know, should I start now? Um, and instead of talking the patient out of the treatment that they've already accepted. So it can be a pause allowing them to process something or for you to process something or for you to see where to go next. 
And, and this is the part too, where we need to get very curious about what their goals are and what really matters to them, mm-hmm. because we know, we know what we're talking about. We know what's really going on. We know what things are going to look like in five, 10, 15 years, if they don't address this. Um, but they may not know that. So that may be part of what we need to be sharing too. Hey, this is what's going to happen if we do take care of it. You know, this would be our, our outcome. This is what's going to happen if we don't take care of it. Uh, because we, again, we're working for them. So we've got to, you know, when we give them all this information, that's when we check in and say, you know, how is this, how is this sounding to you? What are your goals? Are you looking for a short-term goal here? Are you looking for a long-term goal? Um, you know, where do we go from here? You get to drive the bus. And I think just giving them that space and asking those questions, you know, I, you and I both are really big on always presenting what we think is the best treatment for them first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like to give options because I want patients to know, you know, this is, you know, I'm not just here to boss you around and, and make you do what I think I'm here to give you all the options so that you can choose for yourself. Right. So, you know, we've talked about this several times already, but allowing our patients to be active participants in the appointment and the assessments is really, really important. So you want to show and tell as much as possible, you know, take those pictures. And I know, I know we as hygienists, the timing, we think, oh, I have to go get the camera and the card and load it, but it builds so much trust in your practice and in your, your professional providership. Yeah. And as you like to say, it's, it's a thousand words, a picture is a thousand words. So instead of explaining and taking five minutes to explain this thing, just pulling up a picture. So it may take, you know, three minutes to go get the camera, snap the camera up, upload the snap the picture, upload the photo, but it's going to take the place of like 10 minutes of talking. Right. So it's like, we've kind of got to weigh the pros and cons. Right. And I, and I want to touch on something that you just said actually about, um, listening for the patient, what their interests are, making sure we're addressing their concerns. Like I think, so a lot of times on medical histories or when we're questioning the patient about their long-term dental goals, they may relay something to us that is, for instance, aesthetic in nature, right? They may say, oh, I want white teeth. Right. But when we get in there, we discover they have moderate perio disease and they have three cavities and they need uh, a filling and, and two crowns or something, you know, and they have treatment that needs to be done and whitening now is on the back burner. Right. I think that the most effective communication happens when we can merge their wants with our wants. So our wants are to make them as healthy as possible because we've got this different education and a different perspective than they do. We're the, we're the providers, we're the clinicians, and we're the ones who want to treat their disease to make sure that they're as healthy as possible. They may not see the value in that. They may, they may not be able to see the cavity. They may not be able to feel the perio or feel the, the cavity at all. You know, so they may not see the value in treating that. They may stick with their you know, chief complaint of like, well, well, when, when can I whiten my teeth kind of thing, you know? So as much as possible, I think educating the patient and trying to influence what they do value so that maybe they develop to where they, they will value the health of their gums and their bone. Like, like you're saying, educating them about what will happen if we do nothing, what will happen if we treat this, what the treatment options are, those things can all be tied in together. You know, we can talk about the outcome of treating your parrot disease is your teeth will look whiter. We may not even have to do a whitening procedure or the outcome of using these perio trays is your teeth will look whiter eventually. And we'll also treat your gum infection so that your teeth will look, will look nicer over a longer period of time. You, you're less likely to have gum recession because of bone loss. You know, your, your, 
these things often go hand in hand. So I think communicating in a way that allows the patient to understand that we value what they value, and that's important, but also they should value what we want for them because it's going to help them achieve what they want, you know? And, and in some instances, maybe that's not possible, at least in the first appointment or first few appointments, and maybe some fires really do need to be put out before we start talking about those things. But we need to at least acknowledge, like, hey, we're going to come around, we're going to get to do the whitening procedure that you want. This is really important to me that you get exactly what you want. And also that you don't lose teeth while we're waiting to achieve that goal. You know, I, I want to make sure that you have this for a lifetime and, and, and come at it from uh, both like a merged perspective. Right. And, and, you know, how many times in, in your years of practice, have you had patients say things to you like, yeah, I had that root canal or I had that crown or, you know, I had that, I had a, I had a deep cleaning, but I don't, I don't really know why I needed that. Yeah. Like I have heard that so many times and it's frustrating to me because I, I'm really big on educating my patients. So they really understand what's happening. And that's where I feel like taking pictures comes in because it builds so much trust because you can tell me that I have a cracked filling, but if it doesn't hurt and I don't feel it, I'm kind of, I get a little skeptical, but if you can show it to me, all of a sudden it makes it very real. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's in my mouth. What are we going to do about this? Mm -hmm. So I think taking pictures and, and even if it's just, you know, a hand mirror, showing them in the hand mirror, letting them see for themselves, you know, if they've got the red bleeding gums, showing them as much as you can so that they can experience it for themselves is really important. We actually had a new patient come in this last week and we took photos and he said, he said, man, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad, you know, and it, it just brings the reality to what's really going on. You know, you, you can't see in there yourself, so you don't really know. So I think pictures are everything. So a um, lot of times in regards to photographs, if, if I sense, and sometimes it's easy to sense, like when someone is maybe, um, uh, like hesitant to accept information that you're giving them or not, not as open to being educated. And they're kind of, they've got their goals, uh, in the forefront of their mind. Like I just came in for a cleaning and I have to do all these x-rays and the, the photographs and all the stuff, even after educating them about why we need all of that. I like to pop the photographs up on the screen in front of them before I even start talking right. a lot of times because, and I'll just start, I'll just start clicking through and I'll just sit there. Like I'm just looking at the photographs and they're just looking with me and we're just looking at stuff. And a lot of times they'll do exactly that. Like, oh my gosh, is that my mouth? Yep. Like, then they get interested suddenly, you know. So it, that can be a great tool to open a conversation when a person has their own like goals and maybe they're a little bit detached at the beginning of, of the appointment about what you're saying or, or the other important things, you know. Um, especially when you know, for for us new patients, our new patient appointments are 90 minutes. It involves a lot of diagnostics and simple hygiene when there's time. So, like, you know, we'll do a profi or a period maintenance if we are able to at the end of all the diagnostics. But before that, we'll do FMX photographs, 3D wellness scan, comp perio chart, uh, comprehensive uh, oral eval with the dentist and with the hygienist, oral cancer screening, all that stuff. And the, some patients, you know, will explain to them that all this is going to happen and the reasons why. Um, but some of them are, are human and hawing and they're like, I just came in for a cleaning and I just, you know, I, just, and when am I going to get my checkup and that sort of thing. And as soon as I, I'm telling you, as soon as I swap those pictures over in front of them, they're like, Oh, like, like complete, complete change. So I think photographs can be very powerful for, um, changing people's perspectives and seeing the value of what we're doing too, you know, and letting that be kind of the, the, um, the softening or the door opening in regards to talking about hard topics and other things. And it, and just like we're talking, it brings that ownership, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that's my mouth. That's mm -hmm. what's going on in there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think, you know, I've always chanted that patients being involved in their, their perio assessment, hearing those numbers being called out loud, hearing the bleeding points. I always sit my patient up afterwards and we look at the bite wings together and I explain to them, you know, each part of the radiograph that we're looking at and how, you know, this, this subgingival calculus that we can see these, you know, little barnacles on the side of the teeth, we can see that, you know, the bone loss that's happened around those areas. Um, I just think the more a patient can really get it, the more they can own it mm -hmm. and move forward and not just for treatment today, but for treatment down the road, long-term understanding the, the big picture of it, you know, because I think sometimes patients think, especially when we're talking about perio, oh, okay, I have an infection. And just like when we have a medical infection, oh, I have an infection, you're going to give me an antibiotic and then I never have to deal with it again. Unfortunately, perio, that we know that's not the way that works. So I think they've got to know on the front end that, unfortunately, this is kind of a, a long haul, but I'm going to get you there and we're going to do this together kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for them to know that. So I'm going to lead into when we have to share the hard information. Um, and let's be honest, what we're sharing is a loss in the patient's measure of health. Like that, that's a big deal. Um, obviously, thankfully, we're not sharing something like you have cancer. We don't, we don't, you know, assuming, you know, even if we see something on the oral cancer screening that we're, we're concerned about, we typically are, you know, saying, you know, I want you to go see a specialist to, to get this checked out. But most of the things we're sharing aren't as devastating as that. But we're still sharing like, hey, this is less than what you were hoping to have. Mm -hmm. um, we've got to understand that empathy and understanding must always precede advice and problem solving. Um, this is again where I think we've got to put ourselves in their shoes. How would I want to hear this? How would I want this presented to me? You know, would, wouldn't I want that person to be kind and empathetic? Mm -hmm. um, it gets easy to get in the rat race of your day and be like, yep, you have perio. When you do this, this, and this, are you ready? And that's not fair to them. Um, you know, we, they've got to own their situation before moving forward. And a lot of times, because the, these are hard things, um, the, that ownership can come with anger, frustration, denial, mistrust, and that's okay. You know, we've all seen those patients who were giving them this information and they're like angry about it. Mm -hmm. And, and again, we need to not filter that through the me filter there. It can seem like they're angry at us because we are the bearer of the bad news, but really they're angry that they're hearing something negative about themselves. Yeah. You know, something bad is happening to me. Right. And so I think it's really important that we meet that with the empathy and the compassion. Well, and, and don't shoot the messenger is a common phrase for a reason, you know, because we tend to want to attack the source of the bad news. You know, it's just, we're the closest or the easiest target, you know, at that point in time, like it, and sometimes it's a person's natural reaction when they, when they receive hard news to just like want to deflect or be in denial or just kind of bounce that hard news off of them and start, start blaming or, or get upset or angry. Um, and that's a reasonable human response, but we have to remember, and that could be, that can feel really uncomfortable. It can be really difficult. And something that I struggle with personally is when I am taking all this time to do a really thorough evaluation, doing all this diagnostic stuff, practicing at the highest level of what we know to be the, the best practices and gold standards. And then someone um, saying, you know, well, I, I don't believe you, or I need a second opinion or, or having that angry response, because sometimes it feels like 
why am I doing all of this? You know, why am I giving this patient the very best care if they're just going to blame me or they're just going to lash out or they're just going to be rude or mean? But I think that it's important, you know, that no matter what, we are coming at them with empathy and complete honesty. And I think that sometimes when we when we get those negative reactions or we encounter people who are angry about the information that we're giving them or aren't immediately accepting as we want to almost like water it down and it's important that we don't do that either. I think that, you know, we want to, we want to like lessen the blow, but kind of lessening the blow is not being honest about their current health status. So just like you say all the time, Sharice, so like, don't say like a little bit of bleeding or, you know, kind of inflamed or a small crack, if that's not what it actually is, you know, don't let the, the fear of how a patient might respond or react be the reason why you don't tell them the whole truth. Right. So I think that people really under underestimate and maybe undervalue too, being, being honest and transparent, you know, because that is what builds trust over a long period of time. So even in that first visit um, or, or in any visit, if I'm relaying hard information, the patient is going to know that in the future, when I give them good information, it's, it's true to the best of my knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm now telling you you're healthy. You can believe that completely. Like I was honest with you when this was hard information to deliver. Now I'm being completely honest with you when this is easy information to deliver. Right. So that consistent honest, empathetic communication, I think is what builds trust over time. And there are like, like we've mentioned so many times before, people have decisions to make. Adults get to make their own decisions. Is this the practice for them or not? Do they want to treat their disease or not? Are, are, you know, are they angry or, you know, hurt or sad or whatever about this information? Like people get to respond the way that they want to, but we can't let their response kind of change the information that we're delivering because the truth in in all the diagnostics and what all the diagnostics equal is, is what it is. You know, we've got to relay that information to them. And like you say all the time, you know, they come to us for our, um, our professionalism and our education and all the information that they didn't go to school for, you know, so we, we have a responsibility to give them the news, even if it's hard news to handle and then be with them and sit with them in their response or if they need help or support in, in figuring it out, even if their response is anger or sadness, you know, whatever, just making sure that we're there for them, no matter what, where, where that conversation goes. Yeah. And, and so I think, and I mean, let's just be super real. And I, and I am very authentic with patients when we are, are having these hard conversations, you know, and I'm, I'm telling them, think of, let's just be real. Like if you're having a new patient come to you for the first time and you do all your assessments and you're telling them you have periodontal disease and it's, you know, moderate to advanced and there's bone loss and this is an incurable disease and we've got a lot long road of maintenance ahead of us. And, you know, this is going to cost several thousand dollars. Like you're giving them all of this news and obviously you're not delivering it in that way, but this is kind of the big picture of it. Like, do we really think they're going to smile and be like, I'm on board. Let's go right now. Right they've got to digest that and they've got to absorb that. And sometimes that, you know, that, that hurts them. And so I think the way to become empathetic through that is to just be real and say, Hey, I know this isn't what you wanted to hear today. And in all honesty, it's not what I want to be telling you today, but what I can tell you is I know how to get this under control. I'm going to be with you step-by-step. We're going to figure out how to do this, you know, according to your goals and on your timeline, Mm -hmm. you're not alone. And then if you've got a patient, this has happened before where I've had patients who are, get it. And they're like, okay, I get it. This sucks, but I get it. I need a little time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you, you know, you got whatever your follow-up protocols are to follow up with them, but 
you know, you never want to push somebody in or rush somebody into a decision when it's something big and hard like that. Um, you know, you want to give them a little space, but, you know, just having that conversation of, Hey, I know this is hard. Let's figure out a plan that works and really listening, you know, ask, check in with them. Like, tell me what, what feels hardest about this for you. What are your fears in this? What are your concerns in this? And really, again, listening to those answers, because it may be just that they're really busy and they don't have a lot of time to come back. So let's figure out how to get it all done in one visit. Or maybe it's a financial thing. And so, okay, well, we're going to sit down, you know, with one of our admin team and we're going to figure out how to make this work for you financially. We've got some options. Um, you know, for some patients, it's, well, how, you know, how is this going to hurt? Is this really going to be painful? Well, let's talk about, we have some options. We can do, we can do this under sedation. You know, there's a lot of options there. So it's figuring out after you share this information, what that patient is feeling and how you can make that, you know, fit for them and be more comfortable in all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been a super helpful review for me. I think that it's super effective and impactful and empowering to review this for anyone, no matter how long we've been in the game. I think it's important to remember like that we are constantly delivering hard information and not lose that empathy and the weight of the information that we're giving to patients. And it's great to just review all of these tips about communicating effectively. And like you say all the time, you know, iron sharpens iron. So I feel sharpened by this conversation. Um, and we really hope that, you know, everyone feels sharpened and like they've gathered a few gold nuggets out of this um, information and best communication practices for their daily hygiene uh, regimens and interactions with people. Um, yeah. Teresa, do you have any finishing thoughts? I have one last thought. Sure. And that is if you sense that your patient isn't owning it, they're just not getting it. Don't make a treatment plan for them yet. <laughs> because that's almost like saying you didn't hear anything they just said to you. Hmm. I would check in, does this concern you? And if they say, no, I, you know, I'm really not, it doesn't hurt me. I'm not really concerned. Okay, that's fair. I want to wait. I want to make sure we have more of your questions answered, or maybe I want to clarify what I said to you before, and you know, go back through the photos or go through. And if they're just not clicking, then you know they may not be the best fit for your practice. Um, what you really want to do is have patients say, "What can I do about this?" Mm -hmm. So if you've got somebody who's asking, "What can I do?" You're ready. Go ahead and make your treatment plan and make it fit for them. But, you know, if, if we're just kind of bulldozing our way through and saying, this is the problem, this is what we see, this is the treatment plan, are you ready to move forward? That, you know, that, that would really take anybody off guard. So it's, it's really having them ask you, okay, what do we do about this? And then, you know, you're ready to go. Yep. That's a great, that's a great tip too. Yeah. Well, and I think, Brittany, this is the fun we get to do. We get, you know, we, sometimes we have those difficult patients and you and I are great about, you know, we, we always share our days of what's going on. And sometimes we have those hard patients and that feels frustrating, but I think more often than not, we really do get to connect with people and really help them be the hero of their health. And that to me is the most rewarding, fulfilling part of this career, this profession. So I think we're really blessed to do what we get to do. Absolutely. I think it's an absolute honor. Like, and how many times, how cool is it when you see like an entire family and their, their kid graduates from high school and then graduates from college and, you know, you've got to see them through all of their hygiene 
stuff, you know, through all the phases of life and you get to know them over a long period of time. Like I know that we've, we've talked so many times about um, just the medical field, kind of their call to action for dentists and dental hygienists, because we get to see our patients more frequently for preventive care than anyone else. So what a privilege and honor is it that we get to see them just periodically, just to check in, just to give them a maintenance procedure, hopefully deliver good news and sometimes not so great or hard news. But man, what what a great experience seeing people develop and grow and go through the different stages and phases of life and helping them through um, emotional issues and helping them through health issues and just being there to hold their hand through all of that. Like learning to communicate and just listening to them is just such a, it's just a, it's a, it's a true honor. It's a deep honor. Yep, for sure. So I just want to encourage our listeners, if you want to talk a little more about this topic or have questions or share with us what's working so well for you so that we can learn it too, we would love that. Come join us on our Mighty Networks app, Bulletproof Hygiene. Just download Mighty Networks and search us on Bulletproof Hygiene. It's a really great community with lots of great questions and conversations. So come join us. We hope to see you soon. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.